Welcome to episode number 10 of the Backlash Podcast. Today, I am joined by, again, three other people. Uh, we probably have one of our most prominent guests that we've had on so far, uh, Mike Keys with Keys Outdoors. Mike, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? Good. We're, we're all doing good. Um, Terry and Brad are here again, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing what Mike's got to talk to us about. Right on. Well, yeah, wide open. You guys fire away. Mike, I guess generally speaking, we'd like to start out with the story, you know, kind of how you got started into fishing, you know, how, how, what kind of twists and turns took you to Keys Outdoors. So I know back in the day, you used to, I used to watch a show under uh, North Country Adventures. And even at that point, it was more of a multi-species show. Um, so if you wanted to start out with, why don't you kind of take us back down memory lane and, and, um, you know, just talk about the beginning. Sure. Well, you know, in about the year 2000, prior to that, um, I was in the manufacturing industry for the hunting. Um, I had seven patents in the hunting industry. Um, it was fortunate enough to, uh, one of my uh, inventions to catch the attention of a very prominent, uh, big name in the hunting industry, Miles Keller and him and I joined forces and, uh, I had a uh, tree stand design. And what happened was, is because I had this multiple product line, um, back then there was no social media. There, uh, the cameras that you could afford um, were pretty basic. But I bought a camera because I wanted to film some of my hunts using my products that I invented to show people at trade shows because really that's what it was back then. There was no internet. So if you wanted to display your merchandise, it was going to very big um, deer hunting classics and buying a booth and setting up your display and selling your product that way. Or there was the typical, you know, distributor dealer network that existed as well in some catalogs back then. But um, that's how I got into the filming. I started to, um, you know, film my hunts in, in the product and, what happened was is a gentleman that I met along the way wanted to do a TV show, but he had no um, video for a pilot that he wanted to submit to um, Fox. And so he came to me because he knew I had these kills on film. And I said, yeah, you can use the footage. Um, and he put a pilot together and Basically, what happened from that point is uh, he was granted the show, and he called me up and said, hey, listen, I really appreciate it. They're going to run. It was called Midwest Adventures. And so what happened was he invited me on a bear hunt to Saskatchewan, Canada. And um, so I went up, and the goal was for him to shoot a bear, me to film him, and him to film me and get two kills on film. Um, for one of his episodes. And so we went up there and I ended up uh, filming him shooting a 450 pound cinnamon um, with the bow, a beautiful over the, sh over the shoulder shot, couldn't ask for anything better. And then it was my turn to hunt. And he basically just said he didn't have the money for my hunt, um, which I was cool with. I know what it is to start a business. And I said, hey, get me on the rebound. And what kind of went south is when we got back into the state of Wisconsin, we stopped at a taxidermist 
and he dropped off his 450-pound cinnamon and laid out the cash for my hunt. And so what happened was, is basically, I just, I was very offended by that because I thought as a business, and, and if you're doing a TV show, two kills are better better than one kill and a beautiful mount um, in your office that no one's going to see. And so I had the footage and I was freelancing at that time. And he called me and wanted the footage. And I said, what footage? And he's like, the footage of my kill. And I says, great, you, you know, kind of did me wrong on this, man, you know. And uh, so he made the comment to me that, uh, well, what are you going to do with the footage? And I just being a smart aleck, um, my wife was standing right there. I says, I don't know, maybe I'll start my own TV series. And he said, you don't have what it takes. And I, you know, told him some things, um, slammed the phone down. I looked at my wife and I said, we're going into the TV business. And here I am 20 years later. So, you know, revenge can be a, a sweet thing and it can be a bad thing, but it inspired me to get into it. And as I got into it, we started again, a show called North country adventures, which Jeff was alluding to. Um, and it was multi-species. We did hunting, we did fishing, ice fishing. We did 26 episodes a year. So a half a year. Um, and it aired on Fox and charter statewide. And plus I had an ABC affiliate at that time in Wausau, Wisconsin. And that went good. Um, it's, you know, was multi-species, 26 shows a year is a lot of work, but it went good. Um, and it was really just a lot of training. I mean, I didn't go to school for any of this. So if you watch some of our early stuff from back then, man, it was terrible. But it, it, you got to start somewhere. And it was a learning experience. And we grew from there. And then what happened was, is uh, I was filming an episode out in North Dakota. And an old guy that came, it was with the perch jerkers. So we were out there doing an ice show on Devil's Lake, um, going after perch. And an old timer from Wisconsin was there. And he says, hey, have you ever went after the muskie? And I said, you know, I never have. And he says, I got these two brothers. He said, they're crazy. He said, that's all they live for is muskie. And I said, well, this is interesting. I says, okay, well, hook me up with them. So I get a phone call from this guy named Eric Jensen. And Eric goes, hey, he says, uh, Raleigh told us to give you a call. And, um, you know, we're going to be fil- we're going to be going up and fishing up on Deer Lake, Wisconsin. If you want to come join us, my brother and I, Steve Jensen, um, and see what it's all about. So I, you know, told him that I would meet him. And it was kind of hilarious because. I think they were thinking that this big truck all logoed up was going to come rolling in. And at the time I was driving around a geo Metro with three cylinders, but the thing went 70 miles an hour. So it got me to where I wanted to go. And, uh, so I pull into the parking lot where we're supposed to meet. And I see these two guys sitting in a truck looking around and I'm sitting there for 10 minutes going, is that them? And they're going, is that him? And, uh, so it was kind of hilarious because, uh, they didn't expect the guy to show up in a geo Metro, but we went out on the water and I was hooked that instant when Steve Jensen had up about maybe a 38 to 40 inch fish, but that thing went around 
probably 10 times on a figure eight. And I wasn't even fishing. I was just running camera. And that excitement, um, I was hooked from that moment on. And our relationship with Eric and Steve grew um, and it got bigger. And they lived in central Wisconsin. I lived in central Wisconsin. And it just made perfect sense for me to hook up with them. And it just became more and more musky, more and more musky. It went from maybe two shows a year to five shows a year, from five shows a year to 10 shows a year. And finally, about four years after that, so 2004, 2005, I slowly graduated to all musky. And it's really the truth that it was Eric and Steve Jensen that uh, got me into the sport and got me hooked. That's and that's cool. where we are. That's super, super cool, Mike. What, what year did you change the name then to Keys Outdoors? You know, North Country Adventures, um, we, we folded that name because I, at that time, I, I just felt that all the shows that were out there, it, all the people that were running it were using their name associated with the production. And it just made sense to me to change it over to Keys, um, Keys Outdoors, which, again, could be broad if we ever wanted to go back into the hunting or, or multi-species. It, that name would still provide us that vehicle. It wouldn't tie us into the musky world only. But um, it was just a, a decision made to, uh, to, I guess, just really stop from the multi-species to go into the musky world and giving it that logo with, uh, you know, the dude holding uh, the fish, which by the way, that logo is Steve Jensen kneeling, holding a fish. Um, that's, yeah. That's cool information. I didn't, I didn't realize that, I guess. Yeah. He was kneeling and we just did the silhouette of him, And that was a really nice fish. I think that was like one of our first 50 inch fish that was uh, ever filmed by us. Um, so I used that photo or that, that image, that outline um, in the logo because I think it represented what we wanted to do. Well, things have definitely changed. You know, I've been a sponsor with you, Mike. I'm trying to remember what year, 05, 06, somewhere in there. Yep. Uh, and uh, the equipment has changed. Um, we haven't filmed together for a couple of years, but uh, we're going to be here coming up real shortly next weekend, actually. Um, yep. Right after the weekend, I should say. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. We've always had great luck fishing together. Um, we've caught a lot of big fish together as well. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, the equipment side of things, since when you first started to where you are today, um, it's just got to be totally different for you um, handling that kind of equipment. And also the editing side is what I would say is probably even a bigger change, huh? Well, and it, it has, you know, like I was saying earlier is, you know, back then, you know, a good camera that a person like myself could afford was like a high eight. Everything was shot on tape. Um, you know, there the good cameras, you were going to pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for a decent camera, which even to today's standard is junk. Um, so to watch that evolution um, and more affordable is only opened the door 
for more people to get into the production end of things. And then naturally, you know, I mean, in, in today's world, I think that the entrepreneur like myself and like you, Brad and Jeff, we have so much more of an advantage um, of just market share through the internet. And we didn't have that back then. So we were dictated by, you know, if you wanted to play, I mean, it took me four years to get on the Fox. It wasn't where you just, you know, said, Hey, can I, you know, they, it, they were that busy that they had no openings for four years. And finally they called and, uh, you know, thank God the production was good enough, um, for them because, you know, you live and die on the networks by ratings. And, um, so, you know, it was just being in the right place at the right time. And there was really nobody doing it. Um, Mesa Colmar was out there, but he wasn't really on TV at that time. Um, you know, and he did a hell of a job. He really did. I mean, if you look at what Bob accomplished, um, you know, he was definitely an inspiration um, because, you know, I mean, his cameraman, my God, to sit there and, um, hold the camera and every cast sit there and cameras and he had good cameras. So those cameras were, you know, 25, 30 pounds and to sit there and film all day like that to capture that strike, which, you know, to me was, I just didn't have the finances to hire a cameraman full time to do that. So that's how we evolved with Skycam. Um, there was really nothing. And that was the thing back then is, um, you know, the technology, in fact, it was you, Brad, that uh, called me up and you said, Mike, do you ever hear of this company? It's a new company. It's called GoPro. And I remember buying one of their first cameras that they had out. It wasn't even high depth. It was standard depth. But what it did is it allowed us to do what wasn't being done. The only one that actually got all those hookups on film was Mesa Comer. Everybody else in the industry, there's a thing it was called, and I was told by many of producers that have done muskie, is a dipsy diver. And they would put a dipsy diver on the end of their line, cast it out, and then set the hook. And everybody knows that a big dipsy diver, it looks like you have a fish on. And it was all staged, and I did not want to do that. I was yeah. like, I'm not, we're not actors, man. This is just the real deal. We got to capture this live. And you remember, Brad, I mean, we were strapping full cameras on, on crow's nest with 12 volt batteries to run them. You remember those days? I do remember them. And I, you know, it's amazing. Um, I remember a bunch of different things in the early times that I fished with you, Mike, um, a couple different memories came back to my mind here just a minute ago when you said tape. You know, we had the old mini DV tapes. Yeah. Um, every hour or so, you had to swap a battery. So all of a sudden, now you had to own how many batteries to keep all these cameras rolling. Um, those tapes were only good for about an hour, if I remember right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like 45 minutes. <laughs> right. And so do you rewind them or are you going to have water damage in that tape? I mean, there's so many different factors that we would go through and, and think about. And I don't know, man, it, it's just changed so much. And that's why I brought it up. I Well, I and it, it, it is funny that you brought it up because now because technology is 
so prevalent and, and available and ease. Now I've went the other way to where now I'm still losing day uh, minutes of fishing hours of fishing a day because now where before it was like if we could just get one camera to do that all day now i got six of them set up (laughs) (laughs) you know so the technology has went to that point to where you're now going give me more give me this angle that angle this angle and really where it gets tricky is in post when you put all this together Oh my God. I mean, okay. What angle is this? Whose camera is this? Where did this happen? And to integrate all of that together is very time consuming. Um, but I think at the end of the day, very well worth it. There's no doubt, Mike. I mean, if I, if we went back and we looked at, uh, some of the first work that you did for Muskie Mayhem to today's work, uh, it's incredible. I mean, you too have elevated with the technology. And I think that's important for everybody to understand and, and hear. Um, well, and it, it is, I mean, it, you know, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, when I started all this, if I would even be on a computer, I would have said, you're nuts. That ain't going to happen, but you evolve. And it's like any trade, anything that you do, Jeff, you can testify to this because of your, your other business. I mean, you know, your electrical work probably isn't what it is now. You know what I mean? And, and when you look at something, you look at it totally different now than what you did when you first started. And that same thing with editing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, on my, on my other business, my side business, we'll call it, um, you know, just the advancements in technology alone and we different, uh, you know, light bulbs and all sorts of different stuff and, you know, different light fixtures you need to figure out and, you know, how to light this and how to light that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's completely changed. I mean, from 20 years ago when I started doing that and like you said, it's no different with the camera aspect of it. I mean, things, technology keeps getting better. These cameras keep getting smaller and the, uh, I think you get better as a craftsman. You know what I mean? And it, that's what it is. I mean, when you sit behind a computer, I mean, because it takes me on an average um, from the time I start to load the footage to the time to where it's ready for air, I'm talking about 40 to 45 hours for one episode. That's all computer time. That's loading, um, you know, um, loading, editing, cutting, titling, music. Um, it, it's it takes a lot, but when you do that for year after year, I mean, you know, to, to reach a milestone in, in TV, it's 300 episodes. If you can be on television for 300 episodes, that's like a really big deal. And we're well past that. And it's only, I guess, honed my craft because I've done it more. Um, and it's like anything, it's like a carpenter. When he first starts out, he's a carpenter, but, then he becomes a master carpenter and it's just experience and time behind the computer and knowing how the things work. And it just makes you a better craftsman. And I think that's one thing. And I'm always willing to keep learning. I'm not afraid of technology. Even with my age, I'm not going to shy away from something because I don't understand it. I'm going to learn how to understand it because if I feel that I can, and it benefits the quality of our production, then it only behooves me to, to make that effort. Um, 
You know, there's an old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Bullcrap. That dog's just got to want to learn how to do new tricks. There's no doubt about that. And I think uh, you have uh, well accomplished all those goals, Mike. Um, well, I appreciate super, that. Super impressive TV show. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sponsoring it, obviously. Um, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about how glamorous it is uh, being a TV personality and uh, a musky <laughs> fisherman on top of it. Oh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I guess <laughs> I, I haven't noticed a real big change in my life. You know, uh, you know, it's neat. You know, I, I say that tongue in cheek, jokingly. But, you know, I Brad and Jeff and Carrie, I mean, I've had some moments that um, I wouldn't trade for a million bucks. And it's the fact of having three young men come up to me at a trade show who said, Mr. Keys, do you got a minute? Can we talk to you? And I said, absolutely. And talking to them, and they were talking to me about how they found us on YouTube. And these are three kids from Metro that were in serious trouble all the time. And they started watching Keys Outdoors YouTube videos and musky videos in general. And now they mow lawns. Instead of causing trouble, they were talking about how they each mow lawns, they pool their money together, and they can rent a rowboat to go out on the lake of Pewaukee and roll around and cast and buy gear with this lawnmower business that they started to do their passion now. And that passion is musky fishing. And it's stories like that that, you know, it's wow, you know, that's powerful. No doubt about that. That's and very cool. Yeah, that's super awesome. cool, Mike. Um, well, when I said the glamorous side of it, you know, it's funny. Uh, myself as a guide, um, so many people get in the boat every day and they go, Man, you've got the world's greatest job. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, Yeah, something like that. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, fishing is fun and it's supposed to be fun, but uh, Believe me, there's days when you're like, man, why did I do this to myself? You know, um, yeah, the fish, yeah. the fish don't cooperate. Um, it's no different filming. And I think there's also this weird perception that we're all multimillionaires because of it. Yeah, it, no. And, and I tell people right out, you know, if you're looking to get at in this business because you think you're going to, you know, hit a home run and, and you know, it's a lot of work and you know, it's, you've got to have the passion because I think really at the end of the day, that's what keeps all of us in the game is the passion and the ability to do what we love to do, but to roll in the dough. No, it's not. Can you make a decent living at it? You can, you can, if you work really hard, um, keep your nose clean. Um, try to stay out of trouble as much as possible. Um, and it can, it can pay off. I mean, we've, we've all, all three of us, all four of us have made a living at this and it's been good. Um, but rolling in the dough, no, I, not in this industry, maybe in the bass world, but not in the musky world. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, our world's a little bit smaller. There's no doubt, but, uh, I think you hit it on the head. I'd like to jump in for a second. I don't think I don't think I should be included in the, uh, the I'm making a living off of this business uh, category. There's a reason why I'm still wiring stuff. Well, right, but I mean, but you're you're living your passion, Jeff. Absolutely. You know what I mean? 
and I've known you for a long time, way before you got into the fishing world. And that was a goal of yours. You know, you, you are passionate about fishing. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, and that's what drove you. And like a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, they have, they have the desire. It's just in, and I think all four of us can, can testify to this. And I've always said this, I've, I've raised my daughter with this saying is there's two types of people in the world. There's people that do, and there's people that don't, and you got to be a doer. And Jeff, how many hours have you worked? How many years to build your business? You know, I, you haven't seen no financial reward out of it overnight. It ain't going to happen. No, I mean, you hit it on the head, passion and hard work. Those are the two keys to this business. I mean, in in anything, I mean, it's not even just this business. It's anything in general. Exactly. You know, I mean, you guys know how many late nights we spend out in the shop. Um, Brad and Carrie do the same thing. I'm sure when it's, you know, time to edit, you're in the editing room until, you know, the wee hours of the morning. Uh, you know, same thing when you're on the water, it's a lot, you know, long days, a lot of hours to, you know, get the footage that you're looking for on the water. So passion and hard work. I mean, you hit it right in the head. Exactly. And, and the thing is too, Jeff is, is, I mean, I, we've been in this industry for a long time. One thing I could personal personally never do is be a guide. One, I, I, I no, I, it just, I mean, I've done it one time. Um, or I've done it a couple times, you know, where I just wanted to dip my toe into the water and, and see what it was like, not through the people that I know, but through myself. And I mean, within two and a half hours, I went back and dropped the guy off at the dock and said, I'm done. I I don't have the patience for it. I, I don't know. And I tip my hat to you guys out there. Um, but I, I couldn't do it. I mean, I, it's just too much. Of, I mean, I looked at my graph that day and they snagged so much. It looked like a heart machine. It was straight line, go in straight line, go in straight line. And you know, um, so I, I couldn't do that. And I really tip my hat to the, to the guys out there that are full-time guys. They well, have patience of steel. It's like anything, you know, um, as you're guiding, uh, <laughs> You have your ups and downs, you have your great days, your bad days, but uh, truly um, watching people get their very first fish or their biggest fish, I mean, that part keeps you going day after day. And and it's so much fun to see a smile on somebody's face who had never even seen a muskie, let alone now they got one in the bag. Um, No different than you celebrating on a a TV show, Mike, you know? Exactly. No, no doubt. Now, I do get that end of it. That would be the the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, But it's a hard life. I mean, I know tons of guys. And, you know, it's not an easy business to be in. I mean, you're up at 430 in the morning. You're the first one at the dock. You're the last one to leave. You've got to prepare your boat, take care of your boat, put all your stuff away for the next day. you know, we have to do the same, but it's different. You know what I mean? You have paying clients that are showing up at a certain time and, and wanting to go out. Probably the funniest thing that I've ever heard from, uh, and it's majority of guides is the thing that drives a guide nuts is when somebody gets in their boat and they go, you think we're going to get a 50 today? You know, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I mean, talk about putting pressure on a guy the minute you get in. I've heard that story 
a million times is, uh, do you think we're going to get it? How many fifties do you think we're going to get today? You know what I mean? And I, I just having that exactly. pressure. Well, right. How much pressure does that put you under, Brad? Yeah, it's a, it's a unique business. There's no doubt. I honestly, the one thing that I think was a saving grace to me, Mike, is that um, you're exactly right. I get those questions, but the neat thing for me is that uh, I have a really true, good, solid base of fishermen that come back to me year after year. And honestly, right. when you get to that level um, and that point, the neat thing about that is, is you look at your calendar and you go, all right, I got so-and-so next week. You know, you look forward to those times because they become friends, you know? Right, right, yeah. But, um, yeah, I remember those days, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me. That's why I'm in the TV thing. And, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of pressure there, too. I mean, you know, we're, we represent a lot of companies out on the water. And our pressure is just a little bit different. You know what I mean? It's um, There is a lot of things that go on um, in the heat of the battle that you have to remember. You, We've got social media that we have to take care of. We've got sponsors that we have to, um, you know, we have to work in. Um, so there is a lot of pressure. It's just different. I, I guess fishing in general is pressure. But, um, yeah, it's just a different take from our end. There's no doubt about it, Mike. There's no doubt about it. Um, so basically, uh, you know, what what are you kind of looking at doing this year, Mike? I mean, what, do you have some goals that you set every year? Or how does that kind of put it through uh, into the new year and new season every year? You know, I, I've always, we've always worked on the premise of, you know, I don't want to keep going back to the same wells, uh, even though I know that, financially and, and, you know, our odds are really good at certain bodies of water all the time, but that's not really what keys outdoors is about. Um, to me, it's really become a lot of, uh, exploring new water. Um, and when I say that, I say that to the point of really, is there any new water to be explored? I'm sure that it's been fished or a handful of people are fishing certain bodies. Um, that you just don't hear of, but that's really where we're going. And, and, you know, I'm looking at some stuff in the UP, um, you know, there's a lot of water up there that, um, doesn't get a lot of pressure, doesn't get a lot of notoriety, notoriety. Um, and, you know, we always want to work in that adventure of, of that's what keys outdoors is, is I'm, I'm not, to me, it's not always about putting just big fish in um i think that every place that we go that's new um you know just catching a fish and proving to ourselves that they're here um is really an accomplishment and that's something that we really look forward to doing with keys outdoors is exploring so yeah we're gonna we're gonna do some things this year that um i i don't know it's ever been filmed before i i've never you know, I've Googled, I've tried to find out and not seeing a lot of, um, activity off these particular bodies of water that we're going to go to, but it's going to be about adventure. It always is with Keys Outdoors. Yeah. I think that's a neat part of your show too, Mike. You, when things go wrong, you show, um, it's, it's basically reality fishing. You know what I mean? It is. 
I love that, that feel to the show because of it, you know, musky fishing isn't always easy and uh, we we're not successful every day. And I think no. you're probably the first to actually show that the grind, if you will. Well, and you know, Brad, I learned that really early on. Um, when I was doing North country adventures, um, we had a sponsor and sent me on assignment to go film with one of their top pros and um, I'm not going to name names and, and stuff, but it was very disheartening because it wasn't, it wasn't what I envisioned it to be. Um, it was a lot of uh, let's rehook fish. Let's redo this. I've got, we got people out fishing for us. They'll run us to fish. And after a day of that, and Brad, I told you this story many years ago. And, um, I literally got back to the cabin that night on shoot. And this was at the time, one of my bigger sponsors. And, uh, I packed up all my stuff and the celebrity person that I was fishing with came in and said, where are you going? And I said, I want no part of this. I said, this isn't real. And, um, I remember him looking me right in the eye and saying, son, you got a lot to learn about this industry. And, um, from that point on, I just said, you know, why can't you show your failures? Why can't you show that it's day two and we haven't seen a fish, but we put in 14 hours a day and not, you know, why isn't it? Because it is about the grind. That is the reality. And in my mind, looking at it as a viewer, I'm not stupid. I, I don't, I, I know that you don't go out and, and just catch fish at random and at will. Um, either that, or I'm not that good. Um, but I'm going to show it the way it is because I don't want people getting into this sport thinking that, um, that's what it is. Um, because it's not, it's going to be one of the toughest things you've ever done. And I've done it all. I've filmed, I've filmed bass shows. I've filmed walleye shows. I've filmed salmon. I've filmed hunting. And the two hardest things to get on film is musky fishing and big whitetail. And that's just because I've done it for 20 years. And from my perspective, um, those are the easy things. I remember talking with uh, Larry Dahlberg, uh, Brad, at the sports show, and I asked him right out. I said, Larry, I said, what is the hardest fish in the world to catch? And he said, without hesitation, the musky. He said, there's harder fish to find, but once you find them, you can catch them but the musky and um, yeah, that's, this is the life we chose. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, maybe there's, I think it's, uh, it's us as an individual. I think that we have to, we're not satisfied with ease. I, we're I not that's called glutton for punishment. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> right. no, well, I, I, I agree with what you just said there, Mike, because you know, it's really interesting, the correlation between whitetails and muskies. And I will say this, because, um, you know, having a ton of different people in the boat every year as a guide, one correlation that I see with muskie anglers is that they're usually a bow hunter. Now, it's tough to hunt a, hunt a whitetail deer with a rifle, but now I'll put a bow in your hand and it's basically muskie fishing, you know? Right. It's paying right. attention to the details and... Uh, really diving in. And, and again, it's no different than business. It's about hard work and, and what you put in is what you get back out. Exactly. And, you know, and, you know, 
again, working hard at it and staying, you know, one of the things is, is whether you're deer hunting or whether you're fishing, I think, you know, you've got to have, and, and the guys that are really good at it always have that positive mindset. Um, yeah, you definitely can't fish angry. You can't, no, it never works out. Um, fish if you have to go to the bathroom, doesn't work either. <laughs> oh, I can. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I don't know. I've seen a lot of IA now. I got sky cams up. I've seen a lot of fish being caught while somebody's going to the bathroom. You just don't see it because we cut it out both. Exactly. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Where else do you want to take this today, Jeff? Hey, I got a question, Mike. Yep. What, where is your favorite place to fish, and how? what is your favorite way to fish? So do you like to cast? Do you like to troll? I like to cast. Uh, casting is always, I mean, you know, I love trolling. I really do. And I, I get very um, defensive. When people sit there and say, well, trolling, you just throw a lure behind the boat and pull it around. And it, it, that is like such a misunderstatement because if you, you know, and, and that's the thing is, is one thing that the PMTT, the professional musky tournament trail that I fish has taught me is would I have ever vertical jigged for musky? Probably not. You know what I mean? But it, it's, it forces you to think outside the box. My favorite way is definitely casting, but um, again, uh, I think that to be a good all-around musky angler, you have to know it all, and uh, trolling is, and that's what we're going to be doing, Brad, next week, is we're going to be doing some trolling. We definitely are, Mike, and, and there is a science to it, and you know, the thing about trolling is that a lot of people, I think you hit it on the head, you just throw a bait out and you go, no. You know, you, you need to know where your baits are in the water column. You need to know their speeds. Um, some of the weird things and idiosyncrasies that I've learned over the years is going with the wind. Why is it important to troll into the, you know, with the wind? It seems right. like I get way more fish caught when I'm going with the wind. Why? I think it's because those fish are, are looking to that windblown side, you know? Sure, right. It's how they're positioning. They're set up. So, yep. I mean, it's all those little details that end up putting more fish in the boat and I'm, I'm hoping that we get to show that in our uh in a tv show here shortly well and we uh, will i because i right and, and it's not even that I man this is this is perfect for where jeff comes in it's knowing your lure okay i mean do we want a tight a tight pattern do we want a big wobble slow lazy what i mean just even knowing what your lures do, do. Number 10s, when I troll them, I got to put weight on them because the big blades want to rise high in the water column. So it's adding weight to your uh, inline for your spinners to get them to run. Um, so again, like, you know, Jeff, you know that. I mean, you have every lure does something totally different. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, for me, we try to shoot as much of that stuff underwater. I mean, you do the same thing for your sponsors too, just to see kind of what, you know, what they do. Like you said, how tight is this pattern? How much is this, this lure walk? Uh, you know, what's the best cadence on this particular bait? You know, how about this glide bait? How's this one different from the other one? Why would this one get bit? You know, it's a lot of different, 
lot of different choices. I mean, that's why they make so many lures these days is because, you know, I mean, Steve says it on any given day, if the fish are super active, they can catch them on a pine cone. But on, you know, certain days, it's a certain presentation that's going to win out. Um, right. You know, and then getting back to you, you talking about, you know, learning how to jig and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's one thing I've always told people is if you're not a versatile angler, if you're, if you're only strictly going to cast, there's going to be certain times of the year where you're missing fish. You know, you might catch, you might catch a fish, but your bigger ones are going to be taken off of a different presentation. And that's why I think it's important for people to just get out and try something new, try trolling, try jigging. Um, I've, you know, I, I've, I've, I'm pretty efficient at doing all of it. I'm not great at any one particular way, but it's just one thing I've always tried to do is just try to be, you know, um, a multi, you know, not like multi-species, but like a well-versed angler. I want to be able to do it all based on what the fish are doing that day. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's what it does. And and that's kind of a unique thing about uh, Team Rhino Outdoors um, is the ability for your customers to check out your videos that you have because it's more or less try before you buy Um, and really knowing and understanding what you're buying. And then it even goes from there. Now, now what depth are they? Water temp. uh, Now it's color. What, you know, a good musky angler knows that at certain water temps throughout the year, what's spawning? What are those muskies? They're opportunists because I guarantee you they know internally that then when the water temp gets to a certain level with them, they know that there's a whitefish uh, spawn going on, or they know that the crappies are in. Or So there's so much technical information that goes into making a well-rounded uh, musky angler. It's mind-boggling. And I think that's what it is and keeps us going because, listen, all of us combined here, do, if we were asked honestly, do we... Um, do you think we're going to learn more before we end our careers? I think we'll all say a hundred percent for sure. Things are going to change. I, I, I actually think that we, I learn something new every day um, on the water, you know, and, and that's the beauty of musky fishing. I mean, it's a continuous learning pattern. Yes. And I think once you stop learning, you're done. Um, you know, and you know, I, I want to address something because I get this comment. Mike, you get so juiced up when you catch a 38 inch. Why is that? You've caught tons of big fish. Why? And my theory, or, or not my theory, but my reasoning on that is I made just as many casts for that 38 incher than I did for the 50 that I caught prior. So it, whether it's a 38 incher or a 50, they're all hard to catch and they should be cherished. And it leads me back into the hunting industry. I watched, I was there when quality deer management started in the hunting industry. And I watched it destroy an industry, destroy an industry. And why I say that is because now you have kids that are out there and if they're not shooting 150 class inch buck, they're nothing. And when you lose that, you lose an industry. So I want to show these kids, and and plus I generally do get juiced up when I catch a 38-inch fish because I think every fish that we catch should be cherished and should be a goal that we set and we accomplished. And I don't want any kid to think that just because he caught a 38-incher that he's nothing. 
not like the hunting industry. I agree with that. Yeah, I think we all get hung up on numbers. I mean, it goes back to when you said, as a guy, what's the question? Are we going to get a 50 today? Right. Hopefully, when you go with a guide, you're looking for a little bit more than that giant fish. Now, don't get me wrong. There's guys that will hire just for that big fish. But, you know, a guide should be providing tons of information and and solutions to your own fishing. And Exactly. You know, it's bigger than a number. The 150-inch whitetail the 50 inch musky. Um, they're great numbers. Don't get me wrong. I love all of them, but I, I totally agree with you, Mike. It's still supposed to be fun. And I think we all at times in our life probably get hung up on some weird stuff that really isn't part of the equation. No, it isn't. And, and, and again, you know, I, I want to reach out to the youth because that's our future is to tell them that, Hey, this guy's caught, a, you know, we've all caught, tons of big fish but they still get really excited when they catch a fish because you know again i you gotta have that or you're gonna lose it and i watched the hunting industry just go that that way and it kind of drove me more into the musky world in general guys because i watched that you know what i mean and and it just blew me away i was filming when i did multi-species filming kid watched an eight-point buck up in hurley wisconsin so this is all public hunting, public as public can get out in the middle of nowhere. And I watched him and filmed him passing up about a 135, 140 class eight pointer at 10, 15 yards, which would have made the most ultimate kill shot that I ever got on film. And the kid didn't even go for his bow. And when I, I'm kicking him, I'm sitting above him in the stand above him filming, and I'm kicking him in the shoulder going, what are you doing? Do you not see this buck in front of you? And when we got done, he looked at me and said, not big enough. And this is a kid who's never killed a, a buck in his life, and it wasn't big enough. And that just, it just sickened me right there. It was like, God, man, when I was your age to have an opportunity at that, a buck like that on public hunting, I would have taken it in a heartbeat. That's pretty amazing. It is. And so we, as a fishing industry, we, we can't go there. We have to show that all fish are good fish to catch, period. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mike. I mean, uh, I, think, I think part of the problem is on social media, you've probably seen it, is people are, again, they're always talking about 50, 50, 50. And then I see the comment often, like, uh, this one was just 42 and I'm like, just 42, a just 42 inch fish is a nice fish. I mean, Jeff, how happy would you be to get that 42 on film? I'm super happy. I mean, I had to work my butt off the other day just to get a stupid 30 incher. And I, and I was actually kind of excited that I put a 30 inch muskie in the net because it, like you said, it was, they're all hard to catch. They all require, you know, the same amount of perseverance the same amount of hard work the same amount of everything goes into it and like you said i mean for guys to just say oh it was just a 42 is kind of sad because everybody wants the 50 50s are great but 50s don't just fall out of the tree all the time they don't they don't and and that's that's it and so i think that you know as as stewards of the industry as as we are because people do look up to us we need to keep that in mind um in this, and it's only going to make our, our industry in the world of musky fishing uh, more popular. Um, 
and it's going to sustain for a long time, and we, and we need to practice that. I think that's a good key point, no doubt. So, Mike, where is your favorite place to fish? Well, you did ask me that, didn't you, Carrie, earlier, and I got off rambling here. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say there's one place in particular, um, but I'm most happy um, when I'm floating a river, a small river. That's cool. Um, I just am. I, I, I like the adventure. I like the fact of I don't know what's around the next bend. Um, you know, and I, I love exploring that stuff. You know, there's been many, you know, I've, I've got a trip here that I'm going to be planning within the next two weeks. And it's a river that uh, I have I have tried to find information on it um, to no avail. I've talked to biologists. I've went on Facebook. I don't even know if I can drift it. I may have to bring a chainsaw with me to cut lanes for me to get through it. But I know that it feeds into musky water. So, therefore, I guarantee you they're in, it, in there. Right. And so... That's that's where I'm the happiest. I love Great Lakes fishing because on any given cast, you could be the next world record holder. Um, you know, but in my heart of heart, there's nothing better than floating a river and sleeping in the dirt um, and having some, you know, cowboy coffee in the morning. Um, it, it just makes you feel you're alive. I can see that. You also get kind of sore sleeping on the dirt like that, Mike. Well, not with the new, I'm going to plug a sponsor here. Not, <laughs> I'm only kidding. Not with the new uh, Electro 100 sleeping pad by, you know, no. Yeah. <laughs> you do, but, you know, hey, I, when you get to my age, it, it doesn't matter what you do. You're in pain. You know, your ear, earlobes hurt, so it doesn't matter. I hear you, man. I, I remember um, 20, 30 years ago where I would sleep at the launch and I would sleep in my boat. So nothing in the boat would get stolen. If I, you know, sleep right. in the boat versus the truck. And I've, I've done it numerous times and it's pretty stupid, but, uh, but you know what? I saved some money and, uh, I was fishing. So that's all that really mattered at the time. Exactly. Exactly. But those are adventures and there's no doubt about it. It's, it's cool stuff. It's fun. So Mike, we've covered the, uh, we've covered the past. We've covered where you're going for this year. How, why don't you give us a little bit about how things have gone so far this year? Cause it sounds like you guys are off to a pretty good start. Yeah, we are, you know, we don't have, you know, a lot of big fish, but again, we were doing good on numbers. I think we're up to nine, um, on film so far. And we've really only been out. I, you know, unfortunately this spring, I've just, uh, I've had a lot of projects going on at home here that need to be, you know, you got to keep, you got to keep, uh, the wife happy. So I can go out and once I get this done, then I'll be hitting it real hard. And plus, you know, to be honest with you, the spring, it's been a very wet year, but we've done pretty good. Um, you know, it's, they're spawning here and we're, I'm going to be heading tomorrow morning, um, over to the bay and we're going to be back over there. We caught two last week. I had the, uh, winner of the quick trip contest out and uh dan uh skyber from um quick trip as well and we caught two fish they were smaller fish but um kevin who won the tournament or won the contest um just got into the world of musky fishing 
So to see him have some opportunities and to take him to the Great Lakes where he's seen some monsters um, was pretty exciting. So we're going to, yeah, we're off to a good start for us. Um, it's been a lot of uh, uh, bucktails, small bucktails this time of the year, and a lot of glide bait, and a bait that's really underutilized a lot, and I'm throwing more and more of it, is the unweighted, uh, you know, regular bulldog. Um, in skinny, shallow water, they ride super high, and a lot of guys don't use it, but the single girl has been dynamite for us, as well as the Phantom Softail. Yeah, I can agree with that um, unweighted bulldog. I think a lot of people don't necessarily uh, use it, you know, consider it as an option. Everybody wants to throw the heavier weighted one. I know that we, you know, we do some filming for our own YouTube stuff, and Steve stuck a 50 on a shallow dog last year. Just, I mean, it's it's another tool that some people just don't look at. Well, exactly. And they think of rubber, they think of deep, um, and that's not the case. It, it, it's, a, it's a lure, and again, getting back to what we talked to earlier, it's knowing what your lures do and how to properly, every lure was design, designed to do a certain function. And knowing what that is, um, it makes sense. But uh, so far, off to a great start. I'm hoping tomorrow that uh, our luck continues. Um, and I'm going to be fishing with Brian Schaefer and uh, Todd Hess. So I've got two really good sticks in the boat with me for the next couple days. And hopefully we can uh, put it all together. So if Todd's going to be in the boat, that means Oktoberfest is probably going to make you an appearance, huh? No, no. I, I, I've told them, no more Oktoberfest. I said, everybody else in the world can use Oktoberfest but Todd. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's crazy. That guy, I, that average on that bucktail is like 45 plus inches for us. It's crazy. It's certainly been... Yeah, I was going to say, it's certainly been a really good color. Uh, the funny part about it is we had a color that was really similar, same skirt. We called it Orange Fury. We changed up the blade combination, and not only did it start selling, but it started catching muskies, so it's really cool. Gee, I didn't think muskies could really notice that that much of a of a, a visual um, change. I hear that all the time, and you'd be surprised, isn't it? I mean, and we've noticed that this year. Um, when we went down, Brian and I went down to Cave Run, um, it was, for us, it was glide bait, and it was a very Pacific color. It was uh, your heat wave, Jeff, um, and that's what it was. It was, um, um, is it the heat wave, the orange with the, or uh, the white body with the orange belly? Yep, with the yellow bars. Yep, with the yellow bars. And I threw every other color. Brian threw that. He was getting all the action. The next day we went out pre-fishing. Um, I put that color on and I got bit and landed a fish. And this year it's been that way. And so it's, it's been strange. And then we just finished up on Castle Rock, Pete and Well Flowage. Um, and again, it was the glide, the, the Phantom Softtail, but it was their crappie pattern. Um, and you could throw anything other than that and you wouldn't get bit. You had to have that crappie. So, you know, when, when people go to your website, Jeff, and they go, well, what's the difference between this bucktail? They're all bucktails. Color does play a big effect. And, and Brad and Carrie, I'm, I, you guys see it. Why do you have so many color skews? Because they work at different times. 
There's no doubt about it. I, I think back to an actual example of that. Um, you know, I'm, I was guiding on Mille Lacs back in the day with uh, Greg Thomas, Luke Ronestrand, uh, Jason Hammernick, and all of us were on the lake at the same time, and we communicated pretty good together. And the one thing that happened to us on a particular night that I really remember, none of us were getting any fish to move. None of us were, we weren't seeing them. We weren't catching them. And I mean, it was brutal. And all of a sudden, Jason Hammernick, I don't know if he texted or what he did, but he gave us a shout out and said, hey, I got one. And uh, it was on a cowgirl. And the, the weird part about it was, is that he got down in the bottom of his boat. He cut apart a bait took another bait and kind of mumble jumbled some colors together with a different blade combination. And guess what? He started catching fish. Well, he finally told us after about three or four fish, what he had done. Yeah. Ronestrand kind of put one together and Luke ended up getting one fish. I think Hammernick ended up with six and Greg and I never did get anything to move that night. So, you know, colors do make a difference. There's no doubt about it. And, um, that's my little tidbit, I guess, of when I've really seen it make a dramatic uh, difference, you know, and right. Um, there's times when it doesn't matter at all, but there's also times when those fish are just that anal. They want to make sure that they're eating what they want, you know? Exactly. More, though. Yeah. You can kind of see that, see that, that night, more yeah. at nighttime when, you know, depending on how much light pollution you have in, in the night, you know, if you have any moon or no moon or, Right. Whatever. Certain colors, certain things work way better than others. Well, and we all have to keep in mind too that you know these are predatorial fish, so they're they're adapted to all those search, you know, those situations. Um, and like you said, Carrie, you know, the different light, you know, people don't realize that. You know, do we have a quarter moon? Do we have a half moon? Do we have a full moon? Do we have no moon? Um, those colors at night also play a big role. I mean, I'm sure you would agree with me that if you have any type of moon, you may throw something that will throw off a little flash. Yeah. And when you have no moon, your your one of your better colors it has been for us is just solid black. Now that's the classic one, you know, black has always been the classic silhouette bait. Yep. And, uh, but it's amazing to me, too, even like on a new moon where it's dark at night, you know, you talk about light pollution. It might just be shoreline light, you know, things like that. Right, right. Me and you might be, it might be a nuisance to us because it's kind of blinding us as we're trying to look into the water. But keep in mind that uh, a bait color might make a big change when you're by some of that light pollution. Right, Exactly. So having a good, you know, a good array of lures with you um, is definitely, I would think all of us agree, um, you know, and you may not have them all with you out on the water, but if you're doing a trip or, you know, um, you, you have all of that with you because you don't know. And musky fishing, we've all realized and, and found over the years that it changes on a dime. There's no doubt about it, Mike. I, you know, when, say we're at a show, um, and I don't know, Jeff, maybe you can intervene on some of this, but when we're at a show and I have a, an entry-level musky angler coming into the booth and they're saying, okay, I heard about the cowgirl, I heard about this, doesn't matter what the bait is, but they're asking and they're saying, you know, how do I pick my first colors? You know, I'm going to buy my first two baits or I'm going to buy my first four baits and I'm going to say, 
here's what I would do. I would buy something really wild, bright colored. And the next thing I would say is buy something more natural or dark colored. Um, you know, if they're buying four, well, you get a couple different dark ones and a couple different bright ones. And yep. that's, that's what I encourage them to do because it's both sides of the realm and it's a great starting platform. Well, and that's a good tip. I mean, you know, because there are, and that's one thing I think that, you know, for years there, I was hearing, you know, how, you know, we're losing our youth to fishing and I'm sure Jeff and, and Brad and Carrie, we've been at enough trade shows the last couple of years. We are seeing a lot of more youth coming in and that's just a good tip to, to, because, you know, listen, you're just starting out. You ain't got that kind of money to buy everything you need right away. And that's just a good tip, Brad, to tell people. And that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's so many factors, as we all know. But uh, if you get a good, sound, quality bait, um, it's money well spent. Yep. Well, Brad, on top of that color stuff, I mean, the one thing I find and I see a lot these days is everybody thinks that they have to have um, – like these limited run basement baits and all that kind of stuff, you know, $150 for a jerk bait, you know, $100 for a bucktail, that kind of stuff. And I think that stuff is just crazy too. If you're new to the sport, you know, there's plenty of baits out there that are affordable. A lot of people are like, oh, musky fishing is so expensive. Well, it can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be expensive. I know one of the things that I wanted to do on a podcast sometime is just talk about musky fishing on a budget you know i also wanted to shoot a youtube video on it this spring and just talk about that because i think a lot of people are intimidated by the prices of some of these baits and they don't right. ha- they don't have to be i mean you can catch you can catch a musky like you said uh mike i mean you've caught a bunch of fish on phantoms this year a six inch phantom is 21 dollars. i mean yeah it's exactly you know it's kind of expensive from where i started buying musky baits but a 21 dollar bait nowadays is i mean that's almost as cheap as it gets well, and, and, and that's the thing, and they're so well built now, you know, um, you know, again, technology, you know, the, the, the products back then, everything was wood and, and not that wood is bad, but, um, you know, Ben, I guess Ben Olson summed it up best when him and I were talking one time and he said, and it was on the premise of all these, you know, uh, uh, $200 bucktail, uh, uh, $200, this, a 200 if you you have to live in a cave, if you haven't seen year in and year out, Keys Outdoors put fish in the boat on film with your typical average day-to-day, you know, lures that are out there by these companies. Um, so why would you? Um, I'd be scared to be pulling around or throwing around a $200 bait because I know I'm going to lose it eventually. And does it you know, is there any guarantees that come with it? There is none. But I think that we have proven time and time again that your standard companies that make good quality, affordable um, lures gets the job done. So why do you need to do that is my question. Yeah, well, I think sometimes it's premise, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with those baits either. I mean, they're great baits, but I I just think for the newer angler, you know, I mean, and I think some people just do it because they want to collect them. Um, they want something limited. Collectors, I get it. Yep, exactly. You know, but, I mean, if, you know, if you're new to musky fishing and you see that there's a, whatever, $150 jerk bait on the market, just so, just know that you don't have to have that bait in order to catch muskies. Right, exactly. And I guess that was the point I was trying to make. Uh, most of your companies that are out there right now, your tackle 
manufacturers make really good, affordable product that will get the job done. And, um, you know, you, you know how that is. I mean, it's also not just the lure, but it's also time on the water. And um, that's a big factor as well, is you got to put your time in no matter what you're throwing. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing, you know, a lot of guys don't understand is sometimes, you know, they might have a, we'll, we'll use Phantom, for example, is they might have a Phantom, but they're trying to use it with a heavy fluorocarbon leader and stuff like that, whereas time on the water is going to tell you that you're probably better off with a straight wire leader and, you know, you'll get better action out of the bait that way. I'm not saying you can't get them to work with fluorocarbon. I'm just saying there's definitely time on the water is going to tell you that there's certain little tool tr- tricks. Tr- tricks of the trade, essentially, that are going to help you put more fish in the bo- in the boat. Yep. So speaking of tricks of the trade, unless Brad's got something to add to this one, we've kind of covered everything on the checklist. Brad, Carrie, um, you got something, you know, generally speaking, Mike, we're looking to try to get people to catch more fish. That's kind of the, the idea behind the podcast. We like to tell you that, you know, we'll, we like the stories of the background, um, you know, whatnot. But we also want them to try to catch more fish. So do you have do you have a tip for us that you could help that somebody could employ this year that would help them catch more fish? Um, knowledge, I guess, is really um, the key to it. There's so much. Uh, there's so many avenues out there, whether it be the DNR, whether it be chat rooms, um, you know, social media. Um, you can really uh, take a big learning curve out of a lake. Um, if you, you know, put your homework in, um, before you go there and a lot of things that we do, Jeff, that, um, I tell people, I get it. You're all jacked up. You're going to go fishing. You're going to a new body of water. You've never been there before. Um, you may look at a couple spots and go fish it right away. I say, take a extra two hours, go out there. And especially if we've got, you know, it's really a structure orientated lake is go out there, go look at those spots and lay some icons and really kind of just do a run through of how that particular bar lays out, that weed edge lays out. Um, Because again, um, boat control is very important. And knowing that there's a finger that, that stretches off of this point, um, because we know that all these maps that are out there aren't a hundred percent accurate. So my thing is do your homework. Don't be too anxious when you get out there, put some time in, go look at the structure, lay it out in your boat, and then go back and fish it. When you have everything laid out and you know how that structure that's been probably very, it, not probably it has been very effective for us over the years is understanding prior to fishing the structure that you're about to fish. I think that's certainly a great tip. I think that's a good one um, for sure. I think there's one other thing that we should maybe touch on, Mike, and that is the uh, contest that Keys Outdoors is running this year. Yes. Um, yeah, it's been, It's we're really starting to get legs on it. Um, very happy with it. It uh, involves Quick Trip. It involves uh, uh, Team Rhino Outdoors. It involves uh, Brad and Carey, Musky Mayhem, Musky Innovations. And what we're doing is a contest, you know, again, talking about technology and how it's revolutionized uh, my particular trade. Well, it's also made it now available for people to wear GoPros. And what we're doing is the contest is, is um, you know, you are out fishing. 
why not put a GoPro on and try to capture um, fish on those those lures that I mentioned, and it uh, send it to us, and we're gonna we're gonna put it on our channel and um, have the public vote on who's got the best video, and you can walk away with a really a lot of good prizes: angle cooler, quick trip, uh, uh, you know, uh, Team Rhino Outdoors, and Jeff, you you guys are gonna be giving what twenty five bucks a month away. In, in gift cards? $40 a month in gift cards. $40. That's right. I don't have it in front of me, but um, it's just a great contest. And, um, you know, there's a lot of prizes. And, you know, I mean, you work hard at this. And what I tell people, submit it. Um, put it in. You could walk away with uh, it's really one of the bigger contests that I know that I've ever been associated with in, in the monkey world. So people want to learn more about it. They can go to our website, um, or they can go to any of our websites and learn more about that contest. Yeah, it's it's going to be cool, Mike. And and some of the stuff that's already been edited and put out on YouTube, it's been fun to watch. Um, some pretty crazy stuff is going on out there, and uh, it makes you smile and gives you a, a reason to go back and forth to YouTube and take a look. Um, you're going to continue entering new footage basically every week, I believe. I just got on my computer right before we all started talking here and I see two more videos were submitted. Cool. Super cool. I think it's just going to compound and snowball at this point now, but uh, we're excited. I know Graham, I believe it's $1,700 worth of uh, for the grand prize. Grand prize. Yep. And there's multiple ways to win, whether you're fishing, uh, there's some rules to it. There's no doubt about that. Um, Team Rhino is actually doing what a monthly giveaway. Is yep. that correct? Yep. Jeff. Yep. Forty bucks and, a month. And then you're involved in the the grand prize as well, I believe. But uh, each company involved, Musky Man Tackle, Musky Innovations, and Phantom um, are the Musky companies involved. But then you have Engel Coolers um, and Quick Trip. So really good stuff. Um, I'm really anxious to see how this kind of unwinds and, and comes together for the season. It's uh, pretty exciting. Well, and, and I just want the public to realize that, you know, all of this, you know, these, these contests and gifts that we do are really compliment of the companies that we work with. We're all trying to promote the world of musky fishing and, you know, with the younger generation being so social media savvy, that, uh, again, doing a contest that involves tech and it involves uh, filming of your own catches is pretty darn cool. Um, and, yeah, some of the videos that have come in are, are pretty amazing. So the only thing we ask is from the public is keep it clean, no swearing, wear a shirt, um, and uh, have fun and submit your videos. And who knows, you could walk away with grand prize of 1700 bucks. That's That's pretty awesome. It really is, Mike. So, I don't know. I think I, I just wanted to make sure we touched on that because I think it's a neat deal. From that, Jeff, um, you know, I I really can't think of anything off the top of my head. I'm sure we'll have Mike back on at some point. So, you know, I, we appreciate your time, Mike. Um, I'll speak for Carrie here, Brad and Carrie from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. You can reach us through social media, being Instagram, uh, Facebook, or you can email us right off of our website at muskymayhemtackle.com. Right on. 
So, Mike, if people want to learn more about Keys Outdoors, I'm sure many of them that listen already know about it. They probably already watch. What's the best way to get more information about Keys Outdoors? America's Most Wanted. Perfect. I'm only kidding. (laughs) At the post office. At the post office. Uh, No, actually, it's Keys Outdoors, and it's K-E-Y-E-S Outdoors.com. We have our, uh, again, subscribe to our our Facebook and our YouTube channel. Uh, We're constantly posting stuff on there as well. Um, And, again, shoot me an email, man. You know, as busy as I am, I always make time. Uh, It may be at 2 in the morning. But I, I always make time to reply to people if they have questions in regards to our sponsors or tactics, techniques, or spots to go. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I always want to keep our, ourselves available to the public because without them, um, I wouldn't be here. So um, definitely send us, fire us off an email, and Amy and I will get back to you as soon as we can. Perfect. One thing I want to add to this episode before we wrap up is, uh, Mike, I think since Steve was the one that got you hooked on musky fishing and he's the one that got me hooked on musky fishing, we ought to tar and feather him at one of the musky shows next year to pay <laughs> yeah, back. I was, I was thinking about that. Yeah, yeah we got, we, he definitely owes, uh, he's owed a, uh, prank for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It changed our lives. No doubt about it. Yeah. Possibly um, for the better. That's still yeah. questionable. And, you know, I, I will tell you this much, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years and, um, being, having the ability to be with Steve and Eric in the early days, uh, they taught me so much. I was so green on this. Um, you know, I, I just was, and to have two guys like that kind of take you under their wing a little bit and show you, you know, um, that world, um, yeah, at times it's a curse, Jeff, but at other times I wouldn't have changed a thing because it, it changed my life. Um, and uh, very grateful for that. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, I think that probably wraps up episode number 10 of the Backlash Podcast. If you want to get in touch with Backlash Podcast, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You could email us, backlashpodcast at gmail.com, and I know a few of you have found that. You can also listen to us pretty much everywhere you're going to find a podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. And tonight I was the co-host of this episode, and my name is Jeff, and I own a company called Team Rhino Outdoors. You can find us at teamrhinooutdoors.com, as well as all those different social medias we already talked about. Anybody have anything else to add before we officially are finished? I just the only... Go ahead, Brad. I was just going to say a shout out to both Mike Keys and Keys Outdoors, as well as all the listeners, and uh, greatly appreciated. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry about that. Uh, the only thing I want to add out there is everybody that's listening, um, have a safe, and uh, I hope you all have the best year of your life. Um, let the lures fly, and remember, set the hook hard. Perfect. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to episode number 10 of the Backlash Podcast. Have a great night. <laughs>